Well, good morning. That was a uh, tri- uh, clip from the trailer of one of my all-time favorite superhero movies, Mystery Men, uh, from 1999. Uh, Hollywood loves unlikely heroes, unexpected people who find themselves with a very important mission, a kind of a dangerous mission. Usually they find themselves uh, in that situation because there's no one else to do it. And you just think about all of the ways that this theme has repeated itself over and over again in Hollywood, going back in time, of course, Guardians to Dodgeball to Star Wars, even way, way back in the day, Wizard of Oz. But one thing I really love about Mystery Men in particular is that the main characters are highly flawed. They're struggling to find meaning in their lives, but they have these inexplicable, very minor superpowers. There's the Blue Raja, who uh, speaks with a false British accent, dresses up with a turban, and throws forks incredibly well. There's the Shoveler who actually says in the movie, I shovel, I shovel really well. Uh, And then there's William H. Macy, gotta love him. Uh, Mr. Furious, Ben Stiller's character, who you're not really sure he actually even has superpower, but he certainly gets mad really, really well. And the reason I love this movie is because it's not just the ultimate deconstruction of the superhero genre, because it is that, but it's also such a great, metaphor for the human condition. It describes the way our sense of self-worth is constructed. I'm pretty convinced we all have a few minor superpowers. Uh, A couple of mine, Uh, and those of you who know me, Tim knows this, Allison, my wife, knows this. Uh, I remember numbers really well. Back in the days before cell phones, I could just kind of keep a list of people's phone numbers in my head so that I could call them. Uh, I also am really great with maps. I have kind of an ongoing Google map that, that functions in my head, and I can usually get most places once I've been there at least once. So I don't know, if I were in this movie, maybe I would be like the number or uh, map man or something like that. Of course, the sad thing about my superpowers, those two at least, is that they've been completely superseded by apps on my smartphone. So, uh, so much for those minor superpowers. But... Um, Even more significant in terms of minor superpowers are the ones for us, all of us, that become closely associated with our sense of purpose and self-worth. Things like the ability to make people laugh or the fact that you might be able to really easily connect with people and make quick friends. Or or maybe uh, you're a person who can channel your deep anxiety about performing well into working unreasonable hours to meet a deadline. See, these powers are not only usually connected on that level with, with our, our, our strengths, our abilities, but also very deeply to our biggest weaknesses or flaws. I mean, think about it. Make, you might be able to make people laugh, but you really hate conflict and honesty. Or you're really organized, but it's super hard to delegate anything. Or you can work really, really hard, but you're completely anxious and driven all the time. And I think in our best moments, 
So all of us have these, and there's strengths and there's weaknesses. There's superpowers and there's flaws. In our best moments, we're confident about our abilities, but in our moments of brutal honesty, I think we're a little bit afraid, like the characters in Mystery Men, that our go-to powers really are kind of an act. They're kind of a persona, maybe even a sham, a construct that we somehow put out there to the world. And it's often kind of true. Let's think about the Bible for a minute. Let's turn to the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about all this? Now, some of you may be thinking, oh, I know the answer to this already. We're flawed. We're all sinners. Saved by grace, so Jesus makes it okay. Next question. Well, yeah, but Luke in chapters 9 and 10 has some, some really fascinating things to say about the thing that we're talking about. Uh, this morning. You see, the idea of a crew of unlikely heroes on a mission, like so many movie themes, before it was ever on a film, before film even existed, it was in the Bible. So in Luke 9, this is a little bit of background, and then we're going to see a, uh, a piece of Luke up here in a second. In, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends his own oddball team to lead a mission. The 12 apostles, perhaps you've heard of them. They are definitely, if you're reading through the Gospels at this point in their lives, the second string compared to Jesus. They are the junior varsity, clearly, maybe even the frosh team at this point. I mean, there's some fishermen, there's a tax collector, a few religious zealots, and and a few others. And as you're reading along at this point of Luke or any of the four Gospels, you realize these guys like Jesus, they're willing to follow, but they really don't get it very much yet. They don't understand much about what Jesus is all about at this point. So this is the 12. Now, if Jesus had stopped at the 12, I think we might still be tempted to say, well, there's always some people around who are real stars. They're hidden treasures. They just haven't been discovered yet. So with the 12, you know, Jesus was just a great scout of true talent. But I'm Not sure that's actually me. The great thing is that Jesus actually doesn't stop with the 12. In Luke chapter 10, he calls this other, other crew of unlikely people to his mission as well. So we're going to see this in Luke chapter 10. This is the first few uh, verses, and and then we're going to get to the rest later. It says, after this, this is after the whole thing with the 12 has happened, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Now, who are these people? Who are these 70? I mean, they can't know that much yet because, like we said, even the 12 really don't have a clue at this point. They're unlikely people being given a new mission. Uh, imagine for a second, I was just thinking, how, the scene of the 70 is fascinating. Um, imagine if Jesus and the 12, you know, how did this come about? How did they find these people? Uh, think about the movie Mystery Men, and we, we, the, the clip stopped right when they were leading up to this, this point in the movie where um, 
Ben Stiller, Hank Azaria's character, William H. Macy, uh, they're, 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 they're the kind of the original crew. They decide to have tryouts in somebody's backyard for other superheroes to join their crew. And I'm just thinking, I wonder if it, of course it didn't really happen this way, but it's sometimes the way to understand Scripture deeply is to actually engage your imagination a little bit. So I've been thinking about this this week. What if they had tryouts for the 70, like the mystery man? I mean, uh, imagine Jesus and the apostles um, uh, kind of sitting at the table in the backyard somewhere, Okay, maybe not that table, but they're sitting at a table. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and the first person comes up, and they say, Okay, so how do you feel about Jesus of Nazareth? Well, Jesus is awesome. He, he healed a guy in my town. I'm like, All right, you're in the 70. Next. Well, Jesus is cool. I mean, didn't he say, Blessed are the cheesemakers? Well, that's not exactly what he said, but uh, we like your attitude. There's room for growth. Okay, you can come. And the next time you're listening to Jesus um, teaching in a crowd, feel free to come down closer to the front. You can hear better there. But come on, you're part of the 70. Now, maybe I'm exaggerating a bit, exaggerating a bit, but you see my point. Jesus is willing to have 70 people be a part of the mission, even when the 12, the smaller group close to him, doesn't yet get what Jesus' mission is really all about. For Jesus, joining in the mission doesn't happen way at the end. It happens right away, near the beginning of getting to know them. For the 70 as well as the 12, that's where it lands. Now, I'm convinced that people who get really deeper as students of Jesus begin to get this. A bunch of years ago, there was a great film about Mother Teresa. I don't know, perhaps some of you have seen it. Kind of a documentary. Uh, but one of the striking things about this film about Mother Teresa, of course, for years founded and headed the Missionaries of Charity, uh, picking up the least of the least in Calcutta and bringing them in, and where if they were dying or needed help or if they were children, whoever they were, they were brought in and they were cared for. Uh, and one of the things you see in the movie is some people, I think, came from, from Europe, and they, we want to observe this ministry. Why is it so powerful? They walk in the door, and what they get isn't kind of a presentation on PowerPoint by one of Mother Teresa's disciples. They walk in the door, and almost as soon as they walk in the door, they say, welcome to missionaries of charity. Here, hold this baby. Here, change this diaper. Here, here's a person who can't get out of bed yet. Uh, you came to see, great. Come and sit by the bed of this person and talk to them for the next 20 or 30 minutes. That's what you can do if you're here. Mother Teresa gets this, I think. There's something about joining in the mission right away. And I think there's something in that for us as, as we think about what it really means to invite people to get to know Jesus. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just send them out and say, okay, you're on the mission, good luck, hope it goes well. Once he has chosen them, he prepares them. He gives specific instructions that will help them stay on track. So we're going to read the next little bit of this passage out of Luke. It says, 
See, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. And whenever you enter a town and people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you, yet, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Now, each line in this passage could be a sermon in and of itself. This, this text is packed with treasure. <laughs> We're not going to get to all the treasure this morning, but I want you to, to notice a few things. First of all, this is the place where I think Jesus' correct understanding of the reality of the human condition comes into play. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, come on the mission, go do the mission, and when you get out there, just uh, figure it out somehow. If it gets bad, Suck it up, it won't take too long, and you'll, I'm sure you'll be okay. If he did that, they would have all gone out and just done some version of what they normally do. No, Jesus sends them on a new mission to be done in a new way. It is a way that is not dependent on their capabilities, on their minor superpowers, but rather on Jesus' authority. We'll look at a few of these uh, in an overview. He sends them out, first of all, in pairs. So they're sent out uh, in community together. He tells them to pray and to travel light. It will be Jesus' authority and provision, not their own minor superpowers, not their own bag full of stuff, which will get them through. He gives them a plan for both success and and failure. Did you pick that up in the passage? If people receive you, do this. If they don't receive you, do that. There's a contingency built right into Jesus' instructions. And fourth, they're really not responsible to do the whole complete thing themselves. If you noticed, they go out and they speak of Jesus' kingdom, but they're really preparing the way in the towns where Jesus himself is about to come. And you see later in the passage in in chapter 10 that when they're done going to towns, they come back and Jesus gets them back for a debrief. They come and they talk it over with Jesus. They think about and discuss what they've seen and Jesus continues to encourage them. So, unlikely people, new mission, new way. And when we miss this in a church, I think we end up with people doing things that simply feed into their own flawed sense of self-worth. We get anxious people doing the jobs that feed on their anxiety. And we get conflict-avoidant people hiding from conflict somewhere in the building. Relying, people relying essentially on their own minor superpowers rather than the new way that Jesus gives along with the new mission. So Jesus invites people into mission before they understand much at all, but then he cares for them. He teaches them. He calls them to a new life. And it is going and doing the mission Jesus gives them, plus 
trusting Jesus enough to do it Jesus' way that their lives begin to transform. Okay, a story about me at this point. Uh, one way uh, in, in which the kind of the 70, sending of the 70 experience happened for me. Uh, this was in college, actually before I met Tim. When I was a, uh, coming into my sophomore year of college, uh, I was a part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on campus, and for some strange reason, obviously they, they saw some promise or, or something, uh, the, the, the leadership asked me to be one of their kind of outreach small group leaders for the year, my sophomore year. Now, my immediate response was, no problem, I got this. Now, a little bit of background about me. I grew up in church. I, I, my, one of my main flaws was that I was essentially overconfident about everything I thought I knew. So I'm like, oh, this is no problem. I know how to do this. Yeah, of course. I will grace you with my presence as a small group leader. Uh, so they, they, make it, they made it super easy. So people signed up at tables. Um, I was living in a residence hall called Stearns Hall, and they said, look, here's the list. We've already got 15 people in Stearns Hall who've already told us they are interested in joining a small group. So all you have to do is go out and find them. I'm like, okay, and as soon as I grab that piece of paper, all of a sudden one of my other flaws comes into place. I, did you ever have to sell, like, chocolate bunnies or anything when you were a kid? Like some, some kind of fundraiser, candles? I mean, there's all, all kinds of stuff. It was chocolate bunnies for us. Um, I hated that stuff. I was afraid of sales <laughs> growing up, essentially. So when we got the chocolate bunnies and we're supposed to sell 10 for this school fundraiser, you know, my mom stepped in, called 10 friends, and, and I was done. And all of a sudden, I, get, I have the list, and I'm like, oh, I don't like this all of a sudden. I have to go knock on the doors of 15 people that I've probably never met before. And yes, it says here that they've signed up, but what do I really know? And sure enough, I go to the first door, and I knock, and I'm like, hey, I'm Dan Seward from University Christian Fellowship. I understand you're interested in a small group. And the guy must have signed up not thinking what he signed up, and, or maybe he, because his roommate was there. He, he was uncomfortable. He's like, uh, no. And that was the end of the conversation. Like, oh, how am I going to get through this? So uh, miraculously, 12 people show up to the first meeting. I'm like, wow, okay. So next problem. I start teaching. I realize, yeah, I've been in Sunday school for a long time. I've been around church. I realize I have no idea how to lead a circle of people through the Bible. I mean, they'd given me some training, but of course, in my arrogance, I'm like, ah, easy, easy, easy. And then I got there, and then I actually have these 12 faces staring at me. And of course, the, it, it doesn't go very well. <laughs> the discussion is, is awkward, mainly because of me. And long story short, over about three weeks, that group of 12 whittled down very quickly to three. And I don't know if you've ever been leading a group where you get down to a certain small number, and you think those people probably want to leave, but they probably feel bad enough for you that they feel like they can't. So this, this is my three left. And somehow with that three, we made it through the year, and, and, and we had a pretty good time. Um, we had Andre, who had, had already been following Jesus for a little bit. He was interested. He was excited. We had Craig, same, same thing, and Jackie. And she, she was kind of checking out Jesus for the first time. And, and so... I kind of got through that, and at my junior year, I went back in the fall to find my three people. And I asked around about Andre, oh, he transferred. I'm 
like, oh, man. So then I ask around about Jackie. I find Jackie. She's like, yeah, I was kind of interested in that last year. I'm not sure I, I'm real interested this year. I'm like, oh, man. So I, okay, Craig. Craig's going to be okay. I get up to Craig's room, and Craig basically is like, yeah, I'm not sure about this year. I, I was a Christian last year. I'm not sure if I am anymore. After going through my small group, this is, I mean, I was like zero for three. So if you think you failed in anything like this, um, I failed pretty bad. <laughs> I get you. But, but the, I think the great thing about this that God was doing for me is that I realized over that time that I actually had no idea really how to care for people really how to lead people in the context of faith. I began to look around and realize there are other people on this campus who do know. Some of the people who had intentionally spent time with me, they know something, they understand something about Jesus that I don't, and I need to follow. So I was almost like one of the 70 who went who kind of heard the, the instructions, brushed them off, got out into the first town, kind of got in trouble, and it is at that point that I realized what Jesus was telling me <laughs> in terms of his power and not mine was really incredibly important. If we're willing to be part of Jesus' mission, even if there's a lot that we don't get, the power of Jesus will be with us, not only transforming the people that we might see around us, but transforming us as it did me. We will be part of a mission that matters. We will be taking part in God's redemption of the earth. Now, what does this mean for all of us, for all of you? Well, if you're willing, you can do this. Now, the best first step is not okay, we'll create this big program. Let's, or let's go spend two weeks in some other country. And, and, I mean, in some ways, from everything I, I've heard and seen this morning, there's lots of great programs and structure already in place here. I'm convinced that one of the most basic steps of stepping into Jesus' mission in Jesus' way is to begin to see the places you already are with new eyes the people here this morning, the people in your neighborhood, the people you work with, the people where you grab coffee, the people you go to school with. I think the key in one of the starting places is to see every situation, um, as, as one Christian author said, sacramentally. What do I mean by that? In, in other words, in every situation we're in, God is giving something. He's giving a gift what is that gift? What is God giving when I roll into Starbucks and I'm sitting down and there's people and there's somebody talking and there's somebody I kind of met the other week over there? What is God giving? It's not just that we spur each other on to do stuff. It is the way we do things, how we see every situation. Experience life sacramentally. Have Jesus vision is another way to think about it. As you walk into any situation this week, what's Jesus telling me? What's Jesus doing potentially here? 
Now, if you're just checking out Jesus for the first time, you can still do this. Remember, like the 70, jump in and try it. First step, I think, is just simply to pray, to ask God in every situation you're in to let you see. God, let me see what you are doing here with these people and why do you have me here in this room, in this place today. What I think you'll see, this is what I've come to see, is that there's some realities of the human condition. I, I think most people we meet really want to connect with other people. We all have a pretty deep longing to want to have a conversation, want to connect, want to share, want to have something in common. But, and you know this as well as I do, when you get out there and you're kind of talking to people through your day, I know I do this, you make the assumption that of course these people have something much more urgent to do than to talk to me, so I don't want to take too much of their time. I I don't want to try to make things deeper. I want to let people do what I'm sure is valuable that they need to do. So we have this gap in every situation in life between all of us longing for connection and all of us kind of making this assumption about each other that, well, I don't want to be too invasive. They've got good stuff to do. How do you bridge this divide? Uh, one of the ways I've done it is pretty simple. Instead of going, I, I, like, I work out of my home, and then I travel a lot. Uh, but I'm kind of a peripatetic worker. I, I don't like to stay in one place, so I end up going other places near my house uh, to work just so I can move around and get in other environments. So one of the things I've done is instead of just going to like eight different coffee shops and places or restaurants where I can work or libraries, I tend to go to the same coffee shop as often as possible. It's this little, it's not even a great coffee shop, but it's a walking distance to my house, it's attached to a car and supermarket, and there's space there, and there's, there's people there, and it, it, it's, it's a good place. So I, I go back to that same place as often as possible. And the other thing I do, um, I'm going to get to another dog story in a minute, but this is, this is the first dog mention. Of the, I, I, I always bring our dog um, Otis, uh, who's a big, white, fluffy dog. Uh, Our dog has probably a bigger social network than the rest of our family combined because he's just that kind of friendly dog that everyone wants to know. I can't tell you how many people I've met because, you know, they're not going to come up and say hello to me, but it's like that dog is the thing that bridges the divide between people's desire to connect and their sense that maybe they shouldn't. There's something about the dog, for people who like dogs, that starts the conversation. So over time, in Carnes Market, I've, I've become a regular, and over time with some people, there have been very significant, deep conversations that have to do with God, that have developed. And that's the place where God has been teaching me, see this place with Jesus' vision. See what I am doing here. Now, one of the things we found... Uh, Allison and I have done a lot of kind of uh, training with congregations about how do we kind of get engaged in mission in a basic way, is that people need both encouragement and usually some kind of practical assignment to launch out into this mission. I mean, you can walk out of here today and think, yeah, 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 but but what are you going to do? So in this course that we teach called Mission Lab, one of the first things that we do is say, okay, this sounds really simple. But this week, 
go out and meet one neighbor in your neighborhood that you have not met before. And for some people, this is really easy. They don't know very many of their neighbors at all. Other people, it's like, oh, yeah, that one neighbor that I haven't met. And for some people, it's like, I know all my neighbors. Well, so, okay, so find the neighbor you don't know, you know the least, and build the relationship a little bit. Or go just a little bit further out and meet somebody. So th- this is one of the assignments. Um, and so your assignment, <laughs> uh, should you choose to ex- uh, accept it, um, it can start really even today when you walk out that door into the lobby. Begin to see with Jesus' vision. Maybe there's the same three people you always talk to. Maybe there's somebody else. Or maybe Monday morning when you're in a situation that you're always in. And I guarantee you God will have interesting surprises for you. Okay, one more story, and this is about... So when we did Mission Lab uh, at a church uh, in the Harrisburg area, there's a, a woman named Rhonda, who actually elder at a church, and she, this really caught her attention. It's like, okay, I know God's calling me to meet a neighbor. In fact, I know the neighbor that it is. It's a person who always walks by my house, and I've never, I, I've never had a chance to talk to them. So um, it was almost like, in, in a godly way, she was stalking a little bit, right? She, she was watching out her window to see about that time of day when the neighbor comes by, somebody who hadn't lived in the neighborhood for very long, and she's like, this, I know this is what Jesus is calling me to do. She was determined. So sure enough, the neighbor walks by, and she's thought about what she's going to do. She's basically just going to come out and introduce herself and say, hey, we've never met. So the neighbor walks up. Rhonda opens the door. She's excited and kind of walks out quickly to say, hi, I'm Rhonda. We live near each other, never met. And she's looking at the face of the neighbor, and the neighbor's looking at her, and then the neighbor seems to stare off a little bit to the left of her, and there's an increasing look of terror in the neighbor's face. And she looks back, and sure enough, she left the door open, and here comes the dog. <laughs> now, of course, the dog, like my dog, is thinking, new friend. I'm all about you know Jesus' mission as a dog, right? I mean, he's just ready to meet the new person. But this particular neighbor happened to not be a dog person. They were a little bit scared of especially big dogs, hence the look of terror. And so all of a sudden, Rhonda is realizing her best laid plans are falling apart quickly. And so she thinks fast, and she grabs the dog and is trying to talk to the person in the same way. And when she turns back around, the person has literally run away. Okay, so like, oh, I, I'm called to meet this neighbor. I've made it worse. What do I do? So she's like, i got to be determined. Okay, I'm going to make sure my dog doesn't do that anymore. And so she, she starts watching. And sure enough, the neighbor comes back, walks past on their way home from work, I guess. Um, and she starts to open the door, and she notices the neighbor quickly crosses the street. Like, oh, okay, so second time doesn't work. Finally, she figures out a, a time and a way where she's kind of casually outside. The person can't avoid her. And, and she makes the connection. And the person's a little bit nervous. But God was doing something in that. <laughs> Even in the unexpected surprises. Remember what Jesus said in the instructions. There's contingencies. You don't know how it's going to go. God was doing something in Rhonda. 
And God was doing something in that neighborhood by a person determined to overcome the initial barriers to make the connection. So, unlikely people, you, me, person next to you, who are called to the mission, maybe even that obnoxious person down the street or in your school. New and sometimes dangerous mission from Jesus. New way of doing the mission, not based on our minor superpowers, but the power of God. Surprises guaranteed. Up for it? All right. Well, thanks, Dan. Father, thank you that... You don't ask us to have all of our stuff together, all of our questions answered um, before you invite us to join you in loving others and inviting others into conversation about you into being a part of the amazing, love-filled, redemptive work that you're doing in the world. Um, Thanks that we get to kind of jump in on that even though we often make mistakes and misstep and get it wrong. Um, Would you give us courage to take uh, whatever next step you're inviting us to this week? And we thank you that you and your love for us offer us life as we look to Jesus and his death and resurrection and as we celebrate that now as we take communion together. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.